Daniel chapter 5, we'll read the first 16 verses. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And came Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, let's respond to this reading by singing from Psalm 75, stanzas 1 and 2. Let's continue reading in this chapter, Daniel 5. Starting at 
Starting at verse 17, we'll read to the end of the chapter. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. After the sermon, we will... Respond by singing again from Psalm 75, stanzas 3, 4, 5, and 6. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when you read through the book of Daniel, the first few chapters are focusing, of course, on King Nebuchadnezzar, and so then chapter 5 sort of jumps out at you in in an abrupt sort of manner. Belshazzar just appears in chapter 5 without any introduction or precise explanation as to where he comes from or how he got there. And that's because the book of Daniel is not meant to be a chronological or complete record of the history of of God's people in Babylon. 
in, as they were in exile in Babylon. If you want a more detailed record of that history, you have to read elsewhere in the Bible. Now, before we get to the story, we can say a few things about this King Belshazzar and how he appeared on the scene. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C., after reigning for about 43 years. He was followed by his son and two others, after which a man by the name of Nabonidus came to the throne in 555 B.C. He became king by the not uncommon method of assassinating his predecessor. Now, Nabonidus did not serve the Babylonian god Marduk, but he was a devotee of the moon god, and this caused conflict and between Nabonidus and the religious clergy in Babylon. And so Nabonidus decided that since the religious climate in Babylon wasn't very good for him and didn't suit his religious temperament, he, he relocated his royal self to the city of Tima, which is an oasis in the North Arabian Desert in Edom, about 500 miles from Babylon. And he left his son, Belshazzar, behind to function as the de facto king in Babylon. And that's why we are suddenly confronted with him here in Daniel 5. That's also why Belshazzar could offer someone to be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And when we read that Nebuchadnezzar is called the father of Belshazzar, it simply means Nebuchadnezzar was his predecessor. Aramaic and Hebrew language doesn't have words for grandfather or great-grandfather. And chapters 2 through 7 of Daniel's written in Aramaic in the original. But the book of Daniel is not concerned with historical chronology, but it is concerned, as we heard this morning, with the spiritual conflict that underlies history. What's at stake here is the threat that is posed by the kingdom of the world against the kingdom of God. And in chapter 5, this comes out in the royal drinking fest of Belshazzar, in Babylon, after 70 years, the Babylonian exile of God's people is complete. The Lord's judgment on Babylon has come, just as Jeremiah foretold. And as we read this morning, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. While that time had come. While Babylon feasted, the Lord was preparing Babylon's judgment. But the judgment of Babylon congregation represents the redemption of Judah. When the Lord destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, Israel was saved. In a similar way, when Babylon is destroyed, Israel is saved because the Persian king will allow them, the remnant of the Jews, to return to Jerusalem. And so I proclaim to you God's word with this theme, the Lord preserves his honor and his judgment over Babylon. We will see how human arrogance is divinely exposed, how human desperation is divinely derided, and how human foolishness is divinely judged. So the chapter begins by telling us that Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand guests. And we do well to question why he did this after all the Medes and the Persians were camped right outside the city walls, laying siege to Babylon. And we can deduce that from the last verses of the chapter. And also, extra-biblical sources confirm this. Apparently, Belshazzar and his lords felt 
pretty secure. Ancient sources tell us the city was magnificently well protected. It could, it could withstand a lengthy siege. There was storehouses of food good enough for several years for the citizens of the city. And, of course, the Euphrates River flowed through the city. There was no shortage of water. Of course, who would have thought that the enemy would be so devious as to build a canal to divert the water of the Euphrates so that the water level would go down and the Persian uh, commando troops could wade through the water under the city wall and attack the city. But the main concern of the text is, is not about this Babylonian drinking party or about Persian sneakiness, but it's about how God levels human arrogance. And he does so when the arrogant least expect it. The book of Proverbs speaks about how sudden calamity comes upon the wicked. His calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Proverbs 6 verse 15. And that's what happened to Belshazzar. He was a man who felt completely secure. He never considered that something or someone could destroy or breach the walls of Babylon. Isaiah had predicted that this would happen. Isaiah had predicted concerning the ultimate humiliation of Babylon. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Isaiah 47. So in his arrogance, Belshazzar never considered the Most High God. He, he is the ultimate Old Testament illustration of, of that rich fool that in one of Jesus' parables whose lust for money and wealth was never satisfied. He was blinded by the pursuit of lust, oblivious to the possibility that God would say to him suddenly, you fool, tonight your soul is demanded of you. And then, whose will these things be that you have accumulated for yourself? And what we read in Psalm 10 verse 4 was certainly true of Belshazzar. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him all his thoughts are, there is no God. And how do we know that this last Babylonian king was so arrogant? Well, we know this because of Daniel's indictment against the king. In his address to the king, he says, You, O king, have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. What Nebuchadnezzar would never have dreamt of doing, not even with the vessels of his own gods, Belshazzar dared to do with premeditated impunity. It was not a small thing that this king did. He certainly was a fool and we're told he drank wine in front of the thousand. All eyes are on the king, and then he proceeds to get drunk. He drinks himself under the table, so to speak. He's making a pathetic attempt at being the big shot. But he not only crosses the line of proper restraint, but what follow, follows clearly shows 
the depravity of his heart. First he gets drunk, then he commits sacrilege and idolatry. The vessels of the Lord's temple were meant to be used to honor the Lord, the Most High God. They were intended for use in God's temple with the sacred feasts and for the meals after the sacrifices. Cups filled with wine were meant to be raised in thankfulness to the God of heaven for the forgiveness of sins. But instead, Belshazzar raises the Lord's cup and praises the gods of gold and silver and wood and stone. Belshazzar wrote the God of Israel off as a nobody. By showing contempt for God's vessels, he was showing contempt for God himself. You can't help but think of Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 11, where the apostle warns the church that whoever drinks from the cup of the Lord without discerning the body, that person drinks judgment upon himself. Those who partake of the Lord's Supper while at the same time despising God's kingdom They are no longer participating at Jesus' feast, but they are participating in the feast of the ungodly. Of course, Belshazzar wouldn't have understood that or made that connection, but he certainly understood that he was mocking the God of Israel. He knew exactly what those vessels were and what they were meant for. He did not sin in ignorance, but he sinned in full knowledge of what he was doing. Even though he knew of the God of heaven, he did not want to recognize him as God. He showed total contempt for the God of heaven. But then God sobered him up in a big hurry. Suddenly he sees a hand, or the fingers of a hand, writing on the palace wall. And instantly, the description is like he's a man who just falls apart. He becomes deathly pale. His thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave way, his knees started knocking. In actual fact, the words read, the knots of his loins or or of his bowels were loose. And if you're wondering, does, does that really mean what I think it means? The answer is yes. He lost control of his bowels. So terrified he was. He came face to face with the judgment of God and he just started falling apart right there. He certainly did not understand the words that were written, but not even a fool could fail to understand the threat implied in that handwriting on the wall. And so he, he has a complete and total panic attack. He comes unhinged. And what does he do? Well, he did, like all the pagan kings, he yells for his astrologers and his magicians, the Chaldeans. And there they come, traipsing in again, just like in all those other chapters, two, three, four, four, in the previous chapters of this book. And once again, they fail. They're unable to loosen the knot of the riddle that is on the wall. You see how God exposes the arrogance of the king. And he exposes the uselessness of human religion. That's That's often how God works, doesn't he? He makes a mockery of human arrogance and exposes the, the uselessness of human devices. But he upholds his own honor, and he maintains his people. That's what we need to recognize is happening here. In previous chapters in, in Daniel, we see the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Jerusalem versus Babylon. 
Already in the first chapter, right, we were told that Nebuchadnezzar, he brought those vessels of God's temple into the temple of his God. But God preserved his people in Babylon. He preserved a faithful remnant of people who were also not willing to defile themselves with the food of Babylon. They were not willing to bow down before Babylon's gods. And time and again, Nebuchadnezzar was forced to admit, I am not in control. The power and the kingdom belong to God and to his Christ. And Belshazzar could have known this. In fact, he did know this, as Daniel points out to him. But he didn't want to listen. And so God sends him a message that both exposes him and mocks him. And come to our second point. There must have been a lot of mayhem and ruckus coming from the banquet hall, and the queen mother hears about this and intrudes on the scene. You get the distinct impression she was much more noble than the king or his lords, and therefore did not participate in the debauchery. And if it weren't for her interference, the the king would have been left staring at the wall. And she reminds the king that there is someone in the kingdom who can unloosen the knots of the riddle. There is a man in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And so Belshazzar summons Daniel, and he addresses him as, Aren't you one of the captives of Judah that my father brought from Judah? Pretty derogatory. He acts as if he hardly knew of Daniel, which is impossible. But in this passage, the the irony comes out once again. The name of Daniel occurs five times in verses 12 and 13. He is the one who can help Belshazzar, this despised person from Judah, one of the captives of Judah. The only help for the king is a cast-off Jew, whose God the king has despised. And that's true for us as well, isn't it, congregation? God's word tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The only way for us to keep from perishing is through a crucified Messiah. And for Jews, those last two words, crucified Messiah, that was a complete contradiction in terms since the Bible also tells us that a crucified one is cursed by God. A damned Messiah could not be a saving Messiah. And the Greeks had a similar mindset. God must fit their expectations. For the Greeks, he had to be wise. He had to be slick and sly. The Jews looked for power. The Greeks were intelligent. And for the Jews, the cross lacked power. And for the Greeks, it lacked sense. Jews demand signs. Greek demands, they demand wisdom. And today people demand therapy and self-fulfillment and other things. And the pagan Babylonian kings, they they just keep on going back to the same old thing and it gets them nowhere. They keep on going back to the astrologers and they never find any answers. And we sometimes do the same thing go back to the same old remedies to fill the hole in our emptiness. 
drugs or alcohol, work, money, food, sex. And even though these kinds of idols leave us empty, we still keep on going back for more. In John chapter 4, Jesus met a woman at the well of Jacob. After she met Jesus, she went back to town, and you remember what she said? She went to her fellow citizens and said, I met a man. I met a man who told me everything I ever did. She had been coming to the well her whole life and never been satisfied. She had been married four times. She had a live-in lover. Like so many people, she keeps on going back to the same old thing, looking for satisfaction, and she doesn't find it. And then she tells Jesus, well, someday Messiah will come, and he will take care of all our problems. And Jesus says to her, dear woman, I am he. I am the Messiah. Congregation, there is a man. There is a man in the kingdom of God who offers peace and forgiveness and hope and contentment. And this man, and in this man, the longing of your heart can be fulfilled. It's not in religion. It's not in religious activities either. But the longing of your heart is only satisfied in the man, Jesus Christ. And Daniel is portrayed here in Daniel 5 as a the man who foreshadows the man. Belshazzar was not only met with divine derision, but with divine foolishness. But God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Yes, the king was a fool, and God made a fool out of him, and yet the Lord provided him help. He sent his servant Daniel to save him and give him an opportunity to repent. If only the king would listen, there was still time. We see here in this Old Testament prophet a type of Christ. Daniel had light and understanding and wisdom, an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams. This reminds us of what Isaiah writes concerning the coming Messiah. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Daniel had a share of the spirit of the Messiah. And if only Belshazzar would recognize this, if only he would see the wisdom in the foolishness of God who sends him this despised Jewish captive to help him. But instead... His foolishness is met with divine judgment. That's the last point. Notice how Daniel answers the king. The king offers him a high position, but Daniel says, just stop a minute. First, I'm going to tell you something. You can keep your outfit, and you can keep your bling, but listen to me a minute, king. Let me remind you of a little bit of history. You could learn something if you gave a little thought to the history of your own family. God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom. God set him up and gave him power. But when he became proud, God brought him down from his throne. He became like an animal. He had to eat grass like an ox until he recognized that the Most High rules. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, 
even though you knew all this, Daniel says to him. In other words, you, O king, are without excuse. This sounds like Romans 1 before Romans 1 was ever written. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Romans 1, 18 through 20. And that is the point Daniel is making to Belshazzar. Even though you knew all this, you still did this. But Belshazzar doesn't react and he doesn't humble himself. Perhaps he's thinking of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Because after Nebuchadnezzar had that dream about that tree being cut down, God still gave him 12 months to humble himself and repent. And after 12 months... God struck him with madness. Maybe, maybe Belshazzar thought, you know, God will be merciful to me too. But that's a dangerous game to play. And it's a terrible way to think. Don't ever think that you will have time to repent later. The Bible always says, today. Today do not harden your heart. It's always today. Because tomorrow may be too late. Just look at verse 5. Immediately. The fingers of a human hand appeared, and then verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. That very night, his soul was required of him. And the incredible thing is that after this, even after receiving this judgment in the riddle, the king kept his word. He's still trying to reward Daniel. And in the meantime, the Persian soldiers are making their way under the walls of the city. While he pretends to be in charge, his demise is being prepared right underneath of him. Tonight, your soul is required of you. And this warning applies to all people, but also to God's covenant people. Belshazzar had been weighed and found wanting, and the Lord judged him in his kingdom. But notice how Daniel actually addresses him as a covenant breaker. That's why he mentioned Belshazzar's predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. And notice how often he calls him his father. Even the queen mother mentioned it. Your father, the king. God had given Nebuchadnezzar power and glory. And he was Belshazzar's predecessor. God had revealed himself to Belshazzar's family and predecessors. And then then Daniel applies the divine accusation to Belshazzar. And 14 times... He uses the word you and your, like a staccato-like judgment on the king's foolishness. And then comes the judgment, written without human hand, and it's coming from God himself. Daniel says in verse 24 that the hand was sent from the presence of God. And it's no coincidence, congregation, that at the beginning of the chapter, in verse 5, we're told that the writing appeared opposite the lampstand. That lampstand was part of the vessels of the temple. That lampstand indicated that God was not just watching over the feast, but he was watching the king and his kingdom. 
You see, when that lampstand stood in the temple in Jerusalem, and before that in the tabernacle, it shone its light on the showbread, 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, God watching over his people, his light shining on his people. And now in Daniel, God has, God's kingdom has been revealed differently. In chapter, Daniel chapter 2, just as God watched over the 12 tribes, so now he watches over his empire. And just as God's watching resulted in judgment over Israel, so his watching continues to bring judgment. Also here in Babylon, that stone that was cut loose without human hands is starting to roll through the kingdom of Babylon. And the judgment is predicted in the writing on the wall. Now, part of the reason that the words were such a naughty problem for the king's astrologers is that in Aramaic, words are only written with consonants. So on the wall would have been seen nine consonants without any break in between, with no vowels. And depending on which vowels you added, you could get several different interpretations. And so the king's astrologers were probably afraid to pick one of those interpretations. But Daniel is able, with God's help, to unravel the knots of the riddle, and then it all makes sense. Even then, it's a little bit convoluted, and I won't bother you with all the details. But to sum it up, Daniel interprets those nine consonants as three separate words of three letters each. And as he interprets them, three times he adds a set of vowels. So three sets of vowels to each word to give the meaning of the riddle. So in short, he interprets the handwriting as an elaborate wordplay consisting of three sets of puns, all of which are based on words that represent weights or scales. And the result is the judgment you find in verses 26, 27, and 28. The king has been weighed and found wanting. His kingdom has been assessed and taken from him and given to Darius the Mede. And in this we see the fulfillment of prophecy. The fall of Babylon happened just as the prophets had spoken. And so Daniel 5 is not only about a proud and arrogant individual named Belshazzar. No, it is about God's dealings and his judgments in the history of this world, which at the same time serves as prophecy and as an illustration of what will happen in the last days. God will not be mocked. And he upholds his honor and his name. Now that prophecy is initially fulfilled in the destruction of Belshazzar's kingdom. And after him, the Persian king Cyrus, moved by God, allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls of Zion and the temple of God. For the exiles living during the defeat of Babylon, the handwriting on the wall came as a wonderful reminder that God had not forgotten them the light of God was still watching, shining over them. He is true to his promises. He preserves his church. He will not allow any arrogant king to get in the way of his plans. Daniel 5 also becomes a foreshadowing of Judgment Day. That great day when Christ will return on the clouds of heaven. Suddenly and unexpectedly, in great power, and glory as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Isaiah, in chapter 13 of Isaiah, speaks of the destruction of Babylon. But when he does, he uses language that describes the coming of the day of the Lord, judgment day. So the fall of Babylon represents more than the fall of an empire. It represents the fall of the kingdoms of this world. And you can read more about that in Revelation 18. That day of judgment, congregation, will be our final deliverance. On that day, our Babylonian exile in this world will come to an end. And in Revelation 19, we read how the great multitude in heaven rejoices over the fall of Babylon. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. The writing is on the wall, beloved. The writing is on the wall, but not just for Babylon, but for all those who oppose and blaspheme the Most High God of heaven. His kingdom has come, and it is here, and it is coming. And the more the world rages against our God, the closer Judgment Day is coming. And while Judgment Day will be the destruction of God's enemies, it will also mean the full salvation and redemption and restoration and vindication of God's people who remain faithful to Him just as Daniel did. It will mean the fullness of redemption for those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.